Well, we have nine more holes to go, so how about you two fellas follow me to the 10th tee? On to the back nine, hour number two of Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of Hall of Famer Billy Casper. Two players down the middle on the 10th hole. Here's Brian and Bob. Thank you very much and welcome into this week's edition of Real Golf Radio. I'm Brian Taylor. He's Bob Casper. His father, Billy Casper, is a two-time U.S. Open champion, 1959 at Winged Foot, 1966 at Olympic Club. Just so happened there in 1966, one <laughs> Arnold Palmer had a six-shot lead, seven-shot lead with nine holes to play. Seven. And uh, Bob's dad just chased him down, caught him, beat him the next day in a playoff. No big deal. See you later, King. Oopsie. Yep. That wasn't a very popular Yikes. win. You know what? It was in. It, it wasn't a very popular win, and you know, my dad going to the back nine. He was he was seven shots down. And he said to Arnold, going to the back nine. He said, "You know what?" He said, "If I can't finish first, I wanna I wanna at least finish second, um, and not lose my position in, in second place." And Arnold said to him, "Well, I'll try, Billy, to help you just do that." And then Ar- Arnold. Lost track of what he was trying to do and win the golf tournament. He wanted the scoring record, and my dad creeped up on him and caught him. Man, that is still uh, one of those great rounds in lore. I mean, you know, Johnny talked about, um, you know, playing. And Johnny was the low amateur that year. He was, but Johnny talked about how tough it is to play with Arnie's Army. Yeah. You know, at Oakmont when he won in 73. Well, it was still just as boisterous back in 66 in San Francisco. And those fans yeah. certainly were uh, rooting for the king. But uh, Billy, Billy won the day. And that's uh, just part of the history and the legend that is the Hall of Famer, Billy Casper. 51 wins on the PGA Tour. Three majors, uh, those two U.S. Opens, along with the 1970 Masters, uh, which is pretty dang awesome. Not to mention the winningest U.S. Uh, Ryder Cupper. In history, so that's pretty that's pretty cool, and a winning captain back in yes. 1979 at the Greenbrier. Yep. So lots of history surrounding Billy Casper. Not to mention, what, how many? What did he do on the Champion Story? Won twenty? I think ten times. Ten and ten times, and a couple a US senior Open on the Champion Tour. Okay, there you go. Yep, good stuff. And a play and a Players Championship yeah, on thought, the Champion yeah, Tour. Yeah, a couple majors there. Yeah, I thought yep. so. So there you go. Yep. Hey, still to come here, we are going to uh, welcome in America's favorite caddy. Uh, coming up next, though, we'll go through the leaderboard and we'll give you some thoughts on these players. We'll hear from some of them as well. And then um, we'll, we'll see what the caddy has to say, breaking down this golf course. I absolutely, first couple of days, let me just say, I know we've been here for a week, but uh, it has been phenomenal. LA's been a great host. LACC is a gem. Hope you enjoy the weekend. We'll talk about it next. Back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. We never really thought about a, a score or necessarily what I was trying to do out there. The, the first few days this week, I wasn't feeling very comfortable swing and, and wasn't making many putts or hitting very good putts. So continue to get working on the course as well as uh, on, the, on the practice area. And finally, a couple things clicked a bit yesterday. Um, and then it was more just go out, trust it, and, and let things happen. So, um, yeah, I knew there's birdies to be made out here, but you have to drive it well and get the ball in position first. Um, so, yeah, we did that, and from there just managed our way around really well. That's apparently how you explain a record 
62 in the U.S. Open. Just, you know, managed his way. Something clicked. Knew there were birdies out there. Well, Bob, he knew there were birdies. How about 18 birdies yeah. through two rounds at L.A. Country yeah. Club? I mean, that is phenomenal. I don't. I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming? No, and I don't think the players saw that coming. I know Scotty Scheffler, he said after the first round, he didn't see that. Tony Finau said after the first round, he didn't see that. And both of them just kind of laughed because it, it was – it it was almost like a joke to him to think that two guys could go out within 20 minutes minutes of each other and shoot a pair of 62s so um yeah it's it's amazing to see what these guys have been able to do but that's one of the reasons why guys when they get to a major championship you know the the idea has been over the last little bit that you get there you play nine holes here and nine holes there um you you know you might you don't want to wear yourself out. Well, guess what? This golf course is different because you had to do some homework and Ricky Fowler put in the time to play the golf course, figure things out on the range, and then something clicked. And I'll tell you what, it made all the difference in the world. Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, it, it's it's important that these players um, find themselves close to the top of the leaderboard. You know, you got Ricky there at 10 along with Wyndham Clark uh, you start going down the list. Rory and Xander are just two back there at eight. Harris English at seven. He's three back. Dustin Johnson is at six, along with Minwoo Lee. Um, Bob, uh, how far back is too far back? I think that's something that that maybe you got to start considering, right? As yeah. as far as uh, you know, maybe what some of the history might teach us. Well, you know, if you get seven, if you get seven, um, seven or eight behind, um, then you've got to really get out early. Um, before all those other leaders get on the golf course and you got to put up a number and um, you know, that, that can happen and, and things can switch around pretty quick, but it also depends on what happens with the golf course. If the sun is out later in the afternoon, um, if the wind's up a little bit and you, and the marine layer has gone, then this golf course is going to get really, really difficult. And, um, and you might see, the same score at 10 under par or even nine or eight that's leading if the if the conditions get difficult after the third round, 54 holes. Another great stat from Justin Ray. 25 of the last 27 U.S. Open champs have been within three shots of the lead after 36 holes. 15 of the last 17 were in the top five after two rounds. So you would basically, if you're going to do that, within uh, three shots, that's Harris English, who's also fifth. So you're drawing the line at Harris there. It's Harris, Xander, Rory, Wyndham Clark, or Ricky Fowler if you're going to go with what history would suggest. But I kind of am interested to see see what Dustin Johnson is doing there at six under par because you know we haven't seen a lot of Dustin Johnson he's been playing over on live but uh dang dang it if DJ didn't make a quad in the second round (laughs) otherwise if that would have been a par he would be tied for the lead here's DJ you know making a quad on number two um you know definitely didn't get the day started off kind of you know how I envisioned it starting today but um, to battle back and, and get it back to even par for the day. And, you know, I'm six under for the tournament. So still, right, you know, right in the mix uh, going into the weekend. So, yeah, definitely uh, proud of the way that I, I came back and finished off the round. Yeah. Bob, it's pretty startling that a guy with a, with a quad is right there. I don't, and I don't know if there's ever been somebody who's had a quad in a major championship, let alone the U.S. Open and come back and won the golf tournament. So he is definitely 
uh, right in there at, uh, what, four shots back. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see what he does over the next couple of days. You know, the one thing about this leaderboard is if you look at it, Ricky Fowler shot six worse than he did in the opening round. Wyndham Clark was three worse. Mm -hmm. I should say higher. The worst is not right. Yeah, Rory was two shots higher. Uh, Xander was eight shots higher. But Harris English was a shot lower in the second round. Dustin Johnson was six shots higher. Minwoo Lee was four shots lower with the 65. That's the round of the day uh, for Friday's second round. Sam Bennett was one higher. Scotty Scheffler was one higher. Cam Smith, two lower. So you start looking at some trends there, right? Charlie Mm -hmm. Hoffman, four lower, 71-67. So um, pretty interesting stuff there to, to keep an eye on. But um, I, I, don't, I don't know. This is, this is going to be fun to watch. Uh, I'm excited to see how this shakes out. Ricky Fowler and Xander Schauffele, they're going to be playing right behind, uh, excuse me, Ricky Fowler and Wyndham Clark will be playing right behind Rory McIlroy and Xander Schauffele. That's going to be pretty dang good. I think the fans yeah. are in for a treat. I'm excited. Hey, I'm come- excited to watch this. And don't count out Scotty Scheffler. Coming up next, it's America's favorite caddy. Can't wait to hear what he has to say about the golf course. That's next on a U.S. Open edition of Real Golf Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. It was definitely playing longer. They, I think there's maybe five or six tees that were put back. And then not only that, a lot of times when they had a back tee, they had a back pin. So it was playing pretty long. Um, I'd say it was definitely some of the tougher pins today. Um, The golf course on our last probably three, four holes when I was out there was starting to firm up. So I imagine this afternoon with the sun coming out, it's going to get firmer and probably be firm this weekend. That was Wyndham Clark. He shot three under in round number two and is at nine under par, talking about the course conditions and how they're firming up from day one. And with that, we welcome in America's favorite caddy. There are bag rats, and then there are caddies. Pro jocks who are legends in caddy shacks across the PGA Tour. While we can neither confirm nor deny the existence of this legendary looper, here he is. The Caddy on Real Golf Radio. Oh, we love talking U.S. Open with the Caddy. We know he wants some pain out there. He probably wasn't too happy to see the marine layer and the mist on Thursday morning and a couple of 62s and a pair of aces and all kinds of fireworks that you don't expect at a U.S. Open. Right, Caddy? You're, you're probably a little down after round number one. Well, you know me. I, uh... I'm like, I'm like Mr. T. My prediction for the fight should be pain. <laughs> there you go. I want, I want to see some pain on your face when you're walking off that 18. I want you to look defeated. I want you to tell me it was unfair, and it didn't happen the first day, did it? No. No, it didn't. But here, here's what Xander had to say, though. We played this earlier. Here you go. This is quick. The feel, the stands, everything, um, the competition definitely feels like a major in a U.S. Open. Um, you just you just wait till this place firms up. It's gonna be it's gonna be nasty. Nasty, caddy. He's he's predicting the nasty for the weekend. You can see a little nasty sneaking in there. You can see some nasty. I it's got to firm up though. I mean, you know, you get that marine layer in there and all the plans yeah. of uh, you know. Anyway, we'll see. It's uh, I, I think it'll 
how weird would it be if we have that opening day that was just looking like it was the Amex? And of course, Amex is the prime sponsor of the U.S. Open as well. Um, but it's, well uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Threw that in there. And uh, it looked like the Amex the first day, and it, and it, it looks like the IRS on the weekend. I mean, <laughs> coming to revoke all your money. It's, uh, yeah, it could be. Wouldn't it be amazing if the winning score was the first day's leading score? Could happen. Oh, of course it can happen. Especially yeah. on the weekend. You know, um, you, you told us that uh, the, the sprinkler system's been off since the end of May. And um, the only water that's been going on the golf course is hand watering. So um, what they're trying to do is just dry the golf course out. And John Bodenhammer said it was the golf course wasn't, wasn't there yet. He said it wasn't there after the first round. He said it wasn't there um, through the second round but you can guarantee that they're going to get it to where they want it to be. Those last final two rounds. If they can do it, they'll, they're definitely going to do it. We'll see if they, you know, mother nature has a lot to say with that, but we shall see. They're double cutting and rolling. They're double cutting and rolling like morning and night right now. I mean, those greens and they did say on three, they're treating that a little bit differently because of the slope. Right. But the rest of them, they're, they're going crazy. Three is a steep one, but it's also a sandwich shot. Yeah, I heard. I heard. I heard only like one guy missed the third fairway the whole tournament so far. I, I feel bad for him, but uh, <laughs> that is a that is a big interesting fairway, isn't it? You almost have to hit the trees on the right off the tee to miss it. There's almost no other way to miss that fairway. It's kind of wild. All right, Kenny. everybody. Oh, generally speaking, though, sorry to cut you off, but generally speaking. You know, there were a lot of people that were disappointed. They were they were calling this not U.S. Open worthy. In your mind, is LACC a U.S. Open worthy course? And and what what have you enjoyed the, the action in the first two days? Well, I sure enjoyed watching the action the first day. I mean, watching two guys break the record, and then watching, uh, wondering if Rory could get it to sixty one, and then he quite yeah you know, tough finishing that off on. 16, 17, 18, but it's, uh, it's a tough one. I, it, I mean, you can certainly argue that the first round put a big, put a big dent in the ability to, to call it, um, the toughest examination in golf, which is what the U S open has been known as, um, the rest of the tournament is going to look scoring wise, probably pretty decent. For a U.S. Open, so you could argue, well, it was just that calm, soft one day. But I would say that if you if you look at the brute courses like Oakmont, Wingfoot, um, no matter how soft it gets there, you you don't get many scores under sixty six. Um, you just don't. So the wide fairways allow for that. So I. I know it goes against the whole design philosophy of this course, but um, I think it would be really interesting to see what would happen at this course if they had the you know twenty eight to thirty four year yard wide fairways, maybe mm. wider on five hundred and forty yard par fours. But I, I mean, I think you could you probably have an over par U.S. Open if you had thirty five, mm. a lot of those or fairways. Look at number twelve, perfect example. Short hole. 
And that's the that's the classic old type U.S. Open hole is number the way number twelve is playing. You put it in that rough, and good luck. Yeah, you put ha- it in the fairway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But having yeah. said that, Caddy, let me just ask you this: because in the past, the USGA would have gone in there and USGA to US opened up their golf course. And Bodenhammer made a point of saying that they wanted to let it play how it was designed to play. They, they didn't want to have to do too much. They, they wanted the architecture to, to dictate, you know, and they're, of course, they're going to firm it up and set the pins and do those types of things. But they really didn't want to come up and change the golf course and have it play completely different. I actually like that. I welcome that approach over the, hey, I know you never do it here, but we're going to grow these fairways, you know, in and, and they're going to make them 24 yards wide and, and whatnot. And and it kind of goes against the design features. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it does go against the design features. I just don't think the golf course, in my opinion, um, the U.S. Open, in my mind, is, is the ultimate test of golf. It's the toughest course of the year. One of those requirements is that you have to drive the ball well and you don't have to drive the ball well at this golf course. Mm. You just don't. So that part of the equation is out compared to classic U.S. Open setups. So you could certainly argue, yeah, I mean, it's a great golf course and and this and that, but, um, you know, you wouldn't play the U.S. Open at St. Andrews. It doesn't mean it's not a great golf course. It's just not the U.S. Open as I have it in my brain. I, I think of I think of narrow fairways and deep rough as being the very first thing that comes. To, when you say U.S. Open golf course, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah. Narrow fairways, rough. Yep, that's kind of its uh, mo, right? You think of Augusta, first thing that comes to mind, the awesome greens and you know birdies and bogeys and things like that, right? It's the the excitement, and you think of uh, the PGA is a mix. It kind of goes all over the place, but it's kind of a U.S. Open type course, usually with not quite as much pain inflicted. Um, and then the British Open, well, it's links, right? It's just links yep. golf. So yep. the character of the U.S. Open to me is is narrow fairways, got to drive it straight, or got to recover. So, and the yeah. So anyway, that's so my John piece. Bodenhammer said at the beginning of the week um, when they had their press conference, he said. You know, these standard bearers with each group are going to be pretty busy because there's going to be birdies and there's going to be bogeys and there's going to be others. Um, and it's and and he's going to be changing these scores all the time. So having said that, this golf course is really the tale of two nines. Um, it seems like all the guys that have played well so far have really taken advantage of the front nine, and then the back nine is the gauntlet. That's the one that that you have to hold on and uh, try to keep your score going. Well, since you led into that, Bob, can I go ahead and here's Rory McIlroy yeah. saying that very thing. At least for me, there's there's quite a scoring discrepancy from the front nine to the back nine. Um, yeah, the front nine gives you gives you some scoring opportunities and some wedges in your hand, a couple of par fives, sixth hole. Um, and yeah, the back nine just is is um, is a lot tougher. You know, you've got a lot of um, you know those those last three holes, 16, 17, 18, are uh, you know are, are are playing tough, even if it is you know pretty benign conditions out there. So uh, you know, it feels like a sort of golf course where you try to make your make your score on the front and then try to hang on on the back. That's your point. 
Yes, uh, he shot seven shots better on the front nine on Friday than he did on the back nine on Friday. So that would make him think that's a pretty big gap. But the reality was on Thursday, the stroke average difference for it being, is it wildly different to have it 1.3 shots harder? That was the difference. Mm. He did say, at least for me, he did he did clear, or yeah. qualify that statement, that at least for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's no question that the back nine's hard in their front, but you would think it would be. But the way those stats work, maybe maybe a 1.3 difference is, is, is actually massive compared to, you know, what differences are in nines. But it doesn't seem to me like 1.3. It seems like it should be more than 1.3, doesn't it, mm. when you watch it? Yeah, so... I see where Rory's coming from, and, and he was seven shots different on Friday, so that's what happened right before he said that quote. So, yeah, he's probably going to feel that way. And to that point, to your point about the fairways, though, I mean, Rory's hit 21 of 26 fairways, and he's hit 29 of 36 greens through 36 holes. That's 81% on both accounts. So he's picking up two, a little over two shots off the tee in strokes gain. Um, he's uh, hitting a little a little bit more than two uh, on the on the, on the the approach. And he's even his putting. I mean, look, he's sixth in putting right now, picking up 2.3 strokes uh, on the field with the flat stick. So, you know, Rory's doing some good things, pretty balanced there. And I think Ricky also has hit 20 of 26 fairways. So, you know, the guys are the guys that are right at the top are hitting fairways. I know what you're going to say. They, well, they should because they're a lot easier to hit, but not everybody's hitting. I think Wyndham Clark has somehow managed to get to nine under with only hitting 17 of those 30s, of those fairways. So the field uh, was 67 per, 66% uh, fairway accurate on Thursday. The PGA Tour average is 53 or 56. That's a big difference. Oh, wow. Well, there you oh, go. yeah. Yeah, that was Thursday, well, and, I think. Something like that. Now, I don't. I got all these stats from the Internet, so we know they're all dead accurate. So uh, I will put that in as a qualifier. <laughs> but that's just because of the width of the fairways. And those guys on some of those holes, especially the big, huge, long ones, like 13, that's 522. And, and, uh, the last three holes on the back nine, 16, 17, and 18, those are bigger, wider fairways. And they, and they kind of have some slope and stuff into them. Uh, it just gives the guys a little bit more advantage to be able to keep it in the fairway. Right. Yeah. And remember too, when you had, the, if the greens are a little bit softer and a little less bouncy, that means the fairways are also a little less bouncy and softer. Yes, and they're so they, they play effectively even wider when it's softer. Yeah. Um, now I, I will point out something that this course allows, which is kind of different. Whenever you look at stats for the week, you always see the par fives play under the par, the par fours maybe may play under par, and the par threes often play over par at every tournament you go to, not just majors. But in general, the par threes, think about that for a second. You get to put your ball in hand on a tee on a flat lie, and those are the most over par holes. Mm. So why, why is that? Well, there's a simple reason. There's a, there's a very simple reason. You almost always hit your longest approach shot on a par three, not on a par four, and sometimes not even on a two-shot par five. And this course has, obviously, number seven can play extremely long. Number four is a pretty good size. A lot of guys are hitting four irons on the fourth hole. A lot of guys are hitting long irons and three woods on the seventh hole. 
uh, a lot of guys are hitting lumber into 11. So it's a sad statement, but if you want to make a course play really tough, you don't have to make a 490-yard par four. Why? Well, because these guys are hitting eight, nine irons in this board. You have to make a 560-yard par four to, to have guys hitting a four iron in on their second shot. I mean, think about that. That's yeah. how nuts the golf ball distance is. And that's how that's, crazy. That's why the golf ball is going to get rolled back. Although Mike Wan doesn't want to call it a rollback, we're calling it a distance uh, adjustment, not a rollback. But, hey, call it what you want. They're looking to roll that thing back. And after what we're seeing today with the way these guys are taking this golf course apart, I think they're going to use this as Exhibit A. Caddy, can you hang on? we got to take a quick break, but i got a couple other things that I want to get to. Stay tuned. More with the Caddy next here on Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back. It's Real Golf Radio. Brian and Bob with you. Thanks for joining us on the show. So continuing now with America's favorite caddy, there's so much to get to. I, I know we've kind of been being nitpicky about conditions and that sort of thing. You were just talking about the par threes. Let's just talk general architecture. How brilliant are these par threes? Not only do you have some of these 300 yarders, as you said, they're hitting lumber into, but then you got this little itty bitty 15th hole that's already seen three holes in one and is just a cool shot. I think it's great to mix that up. In my mind, a well-crafted short par three is worth its weight in gold compared to just a long. I feel like long par threes are easy to be hard, right? I mean, distance is an easy challenge but to make a short par three good and challenging and interesting i think that's really cool so there's a golf course in california that i think has one of the greatest sets of par threes on any course in the world and uh that's this place called cypress point the seventh hole name dropping 15 and 16 this golf course these these five par threes may be the best set of par threes on any course in the world. It is just spectacular how good these par threes are. And they can play, I mean, four is just awesome. Seven can go anywhere from, you can put the tee up on seven and make it a, a little easier hole. You can put it way back there and almost have to hit a driver and it gives you room to do so. Number nine, you miss the green, nobody gets it up and down. It doesn't seem like that hard a hole, but it, it just, it's, it's knocking these guys off and 11. I know it's super long, but it's downhill a lot. And it mm-hmm. gives you that nice run in their area. But you know, even, even these guys, as good as they are, you put that, you put that hybrid in their hand or a three wood in their hand. And now they got to hit it in a, a 22 yard wide area. And you see a lot of bad stuff. I mean, that's how hard it is. And then, and then 15, it's like, Whoa, what's this all of a sudden? Where'd this come from? I mean, they, I guess that they, they played four long par threes and now that there's a little leftover land. So let's make a fifth one that's 87 yards long. And it's super, <laughs> I mean, how about the putting exhibition on Friday? Mm-hmm. You know, you hit it past the pin, 50% of the guys three putted from there. Yeah. You can say, you know, is that a little goofy? Well, not when you're hitting a, a little chippy wet shot and there's, you know, come on. If you, you, you gotta be able to control that that distance within three or four or five steps, right? I mean, that's fair to say, right, Bob? If you're a four-foot. Oh, yeah. And you're hitting a sand wedge. Yeah, and that's like why Ricky said earlier in the week, and I don't know if he said this um, facetiously or whatever, but he said if they they move it way forward 
and they put that that pin down in that sliver. He said, "I'm going to lay up. I'm not going to go at. I'm not going to go at that 80 yards with a lob wedge because there's yeah, no room know. there." Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. Right. I. I think. Um, I don't like the idea that I can have a 60 yard shot and I have to intentionally miss the green. I think that's a little extreme. But we'll also have to see when they put the pin. If they did put the pin way down there, which they may do on Sunday. Um, will it really play like that? But yeah, he was pretty adamant about that. That's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I think we should clarify. It's not so much laying up. That sounds like you can't get an 80 yard shot there. He's more laying right. I mean, right. Yes. Wouldn't you say, I mean, it's kind of like he's laying, he's, he's positioning his ball just, just to the right of the green. I don't even, it's not even really shorter. I kind of, but not really. So real quick, I'll make a quick statement. Uh, you got an 85-yard shot, and you're intentionally missing the, missing the green. Do you think that's a good design? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Now, I'm not going to say it's not, you know, that, that's just, uh, you could make that statement, and everybody without knowing this hole and, and whatever would say, oh, yeah, that sounds crazy. But let's just see how it plays out first. It, it yeah. might be the coolest thing ever. It may be that if you really take it on, it's a it's a possible birdie or hole-in-one like Friday's pin was. Um. So it's, it's pretty cool, right? I mean, it is. But um, think I about think that it, shot, okay? That shot, if you hit it short, you're going to have difficulty making par. If you hit it long, you're going to have no chance of making par. Okay? I so think, his idea was, well, I'll just hit it to the right a little bit, and then I can pitch it up the green or chip it up the green, which is what my dad I, did when he played yep. at Wingfoot on the third hole. He he did. He laid up on the par three. All four days. Par All, All four, four days. days with five iron. Yeah, so I, I think it's not too hard and up and down from just short of that green. It's you chipping right up the hill. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a can of corn, as they say in baseball. <laughs> you should make the three all day from there. But um, I just, I, 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 I mean, I'm like in love with these par threes at this golf course. It is just, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous set of par threes. It really is. It's it's phenomenal. Hey, Caddy, let's shift uh, just a little bit. Xander talked about his caddy after that opening round when he shot that 62, and he was giving a little credit to Austin. Austin actually, you know, give him some credit, uh, which I normally don't do too often, but he helped me on like three or four times, you know, three or four uh, attempts today where he talked me into, you know, a safer a safer line or, you know, playing away from trouble, even on, you know, uh, six, for example. I was trying to go left, and he was like, uh, let's, let's go this way. Uh, and I kept going left, and he goes, ah, let's go this way. <laughs> so, you know, it's credit to him. Um, we always think we can, you know, get away with, you know, some ridiculous stuff out there. And sometimes it's, it's nice to have some help to talk you off the ledge. So a little love for the caddy there. And he's, you know, he's talking about the line he would take going at six. And I want to kind of, I wanted to just play that because I thought you'd like it. Here's more on playing the sixth hole and his decision to go for it. You no, know, I think it's uh, going to be quite the viewing party, I guess, once the greens firm up in that sort of back sliver. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, anyone's game there. You either wedge it in close and, you know, try and dance around the pin or you try and get risky off the tee and, um, today got risky and sort of paid the paid the price for it. Honestly, you know, got a decent line, was able to advance it sort of up the, up towards the green, which was lucky. And 
uh, made par. So at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of funny. You play a 300-yard par four, and I was very happy with a four. I thought that was a great ending to that, right? So uh, yeah. talk about that. Tony Finau said they're really, if they're going to give you the fairway with a little wedge, then you just got to take it. And you've got others like Sayeth Thagala said, I'm going for it every day. You've got uh, Xander saying he's going for it. That's a great hole. The sixth hole is super cool, huh? Tell us a little bit more about that. What do you think? So first, let me just run real quick to the comment Xander made about Austin um, dialing him back. Bob, would you say you'd need one hand or two hands to count the number of times in a caddy career where the caddy tells the golfer to be more aggressive on a shot? <laughs> I mean, it's all dialing the guy. You're always reeling the guy in, right? You're always yep. reeling the guy most 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 of the time. There are some players who are not quite like that, but most players will always tend to want to go for it you know, a little more than the caddy probably thinks they should. That, that's definitely an observation of mine over 25 years. Now, going to number six, um, I was looking at, I saw the shot patterns the first day where they had the balls uh, on the graphic where their colors for birdies, pars, and, and uh, bogeys. Yeah. And so I looked at it, and I was a little surprised at how many guys went for it on the first day, because I thought that was just a gimme wedge shot the first day. So easy. But it looked like it was about split. Now, I, I don't know the real stats. I'd like to see them. But let's say, for example, it not only was it split, but there weren't many bogeys from the bad area, the scrubby, scruffed up area short of the green, which I thought could be, you know, you go in there, you might make a double on a heartbeat because it's pretty, you guys saw what that was like in there. I mean, it didn't look yeah. very good. And But almost everybody who was in there made a par from in there. And then it looked like it was a split. So if I knew that the stroke, the, the chances of making par birdie or bogey were the same, whether I went for it or laid up, I would never, ever, ever want my guy to go for it. Why? Because, well, you know, you're, you're going to be that guy who gets there on Sunday and you're going to go for it and make the triple, but you're never going to make that double or triple hitting that little chip, chip wedge shot. So yeah. I would, I would just watching what I've seen so far, I would say just don't ever go for six. So far, so far. So uh, yeah, and I'd love yeah, to, and that's what I'd Brian was saying. That. Hmm. That's what Brian was saying. You know, we talked with Tony Finau, and he said, "Listen, he said in the first round I hit a five iron off the tee, and I had eighty yards in. Second round." Um, depending on if there's wind or anything, I'll, I could hit a six or a seven. They're going to give me that shot. They're going to give me the fairway by hit by allowing that and give me a, a short, uh, you know, an 80-yard wedge shot where if I'm doing my job right, I can hit it in there and have a pretty good opportunity to make birdie. Agreed, totally. You're just – that hole, it's unlikely – that you're going to make a bogey with the 80 yard wedge in your hand on that hole. It's just not that likely. It's not. Now here's the thing though. If you got that green firmer and behind the green there on the left center of it, there's a five or six step cut out of fringe that's short until you get to the higher rough. If you had the Bermuda rough, the normal Bermuda rough cut right to the collar there, that changes everything about that wedge shot. Cause how many guys are you seeing that bounce it into that collar of short cut back there? And it spins back on the green close to the hole. Imagine if it stayed up there in the Bermuda. Now you're mm -hmm. making bogey for because you're chipping it 
to the front of the green when you're coming out of there. Yeah. So that little, that little cut makes all the difference on that wedge shot. It makes it, it's just not, it's just not the killer wedge shot, the scary wedge shot that it could be. Um, but it's a pretty cool, I mean, it's a cool design because I think it definitely entices you to go for it. And it's not, in my opinion, it's just not worth it at all. Ooh. That's good. Good analysis. Appreciate that, yep. Caddy. You know what? We are uh, running out of time. I, I pulled a cut. Johnny Miller uh, was on site. He was a recipient of the Bobby Jones Award from the USGA this week, and it's the 50th anniversary of his 63 final round at Oakmont to win the 73 U.S. Open. And I, I went back and found an archived interview that we did from 2007 and another one from 2011 where he talked about that 63, and it's great stuff. And one of them talked about the fact that he – did you know that the USGA used to not allow the tour caddies to come caddy in the U.S. Open? You drew out of a hat. Drew out of a hat. Some, hey, well, I'll just play this first part. Here, here it is. My caddy, Lou Bodine, as he said, I'd never caddy for anybody that broke 85 before. You know, USGA <laughs> – um, if you wanted to criticize the USGA, that was the dumbest rule ever in history of golf. Is they they wouldn't let you bring a good caddy or, or your caddy or anybody you wanted. They would just draw for um, which caddy you got. And the caddies, a lot of them weren't even hardly knew anything about golf, you know. So anyway, there, he goes on to talk about what happened with his yardage card. He didn't have a yardage book, but a yardage card. But I want to develop that a little bit more. So remind me next week. I'll play the rest of that for you and how what his distance was and what his card looked like and how that's evolved into the player books that you use today, that you provide for these players today. So I think that's going to be cool. We talked to Ted Scott. Um, he, he obviously loves the books and, and uh, relies heavily on those in these major competitions as well as weekly on the PGA Tour. So great work, Caddy, and uh, we wanted to give you a little love and a little praise and a little insight on yardage books, but we'll do that next week. Does that sound good? Well, if if we made Caddy Shack today, Spalding wouldn't say he's just a Caddy Grandma. He'd be saying today he's a Caddy Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Right. Like They've it. come a long way, baby. <laughs> yes, they have. Hey, Caddy, enjoy the rest of the the week. Do you have any predictions for us? You want you want to go prediction on us or not? I'm going to predict a little pain at the end of this tournament on on the last few holes. I'm I'm still holding to my. I don't know why this came into my head. I have no idea. I have a. I had a premonition that someone was going to double bogey 14 on Sunday, and it was going to cost them the tournament. You did say so that. That's I right. Don't, mm-hmm. I don't know why that came into my brain, but I mean, let's see what happens. And we'll just forget I said that if they all birdie 14. Yeah. Well, and we won't tell any players that you have a premonition. We don't want anyone thinking about 14. Yeah. So. Exactly. I, I. I think it'll be. I think it's going to be a really good finish. I think it's going to be awesome, nail-biting, all the nerves, the whole thing that make it a major. I'm expecting that. Love it. Thanks, Caddy. Thank you, gentlemen. There you go. That's the Caddy right here on Real Golf Radio. A little double dose on the U.S. Open edition of the show. We'll wrap up the show next. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. Thanks to Dave Glauser doing a great job as our producer. Thanks to everybody who joined us, the caddy right there, as well as uh, the time from Tony Finau. 
Uh, and you heard from our conversation with Johnny Miller from a few years ago. Congrats to him on winning the Bob Jones Award on the 50th anniversary of his 63, winning back in 73 at the Open. Uh, by the way, in case you're wondering, 17, playing the hardest, that par four, it is yep. difficult. Um, it is really, really tough. Number two, hardest is number seven. It's a par three. And yeah. this thing can play as long as 300 yards, and it's the second hardest hole. By the way, I mentioned this before. The sixth hole is the second easiest. It's got a scoring average of 3.77, and it's a par four, par three, 3.38. So basically point three strokes difference between the par four and the par three there. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. So as far as tee times are concerned, of course, we talked about it. Ricky Fowler and Wyndham Clark are at 340, playing right before them. Roy McIlroy and Xander Schauffele at uh, 329. Harris English and Dustin Johnson at 318. Um, then we've got uh, Miwoo Mi Lee and Sam Bennett at 307. Scotty Shuffler and Cameron Smith at 256. And Tony Finau and Charlie Hoffman at 245. It's going to be a good one. There's a lot that's going to transpire. There's some th things that are going to get painful. There's some things that are going to be exciting. Lots to tune in. Uh, I think LA Country Club is a huge winner. I don't care that it looks different than a traditional U.S. Open. It's going to provide a great drama down the stretch, and it's going to be a worthy champion. There's no question about it. Well, uh, Bob, thanks. Great job. Good insights, as always. For Bob, I'm Brian. We'll see you next week, and we'll wrap it all up here on Real Golf Radio.